Welcome to I Swear on My Mother's Grave. My name is Dana Black, and in 2016, I lost my mom. And now I'm talking to other people who have also lost their moms. And I don't just mean in death, because there are so many ways you can lose a mother. And we're going to get into it. So let's talk about our moms. Question. What struggles do you have with if-onlys and feelings of guilt about your actions and decisions surrounding your loved one's death? How do you avoid false guilt? Was it your fault? How do we move from what if to what is? You, God, saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Psalm 139, 16. Are you guys wondering if you're at the right podcast? What if I just started going off into sermons, you know? I would hope that at least some of you would stick around to see just what would happen. What I just shared with you are questions and thoughts that you would find in a Grief Share workbook. This organization helps people grieving the death of a family member or a friend, and faith is a part of their message. Today's guest mom taught Grief Share for many years at her church in Palatine, about 40 minutes outside Chicago. In this conversation, we're going to talk about faith. We're going to talk about living legacy of one's life's work. We're going to talk about children and parenting, about going back to your childhood homes and then having to sell them after the death of your mom. And we're going to talk about innate goodness a lot the innate goodness in, well, all of us. Speaking of goodness, in order to get into the right mental juju and to feel safe in this vulnerable conversation with me, my guest decided to surround herself with talismans of her mother's. So during this interview, you might hear her mom's necklace dangling from her neck She's using her mom's water bottle from her church. She's surrounded with grief share workbooks around her. And right before this call, my guest asked Google Play to play the Cranberries radio station to get her into that childhood with her mom mentality. This is Jess Jones. Did I tell you that my mom led grief share? Yes. Okay. That I knew. Yeah. Yes. So I just, I've put them by me just to orient myself, but I've got like her... Grief Share Leader Guide. And this is her church, Prince of Peace Palatine. So this is her. Prince of Peace. Okay. Yeah. So this is like ostensibly speaking, this would be what (laughs) would be surrounding her when she's talking about grief. So like, let's, let's surround myself with the talismans of grief conversation right now. Right. That feels right. I always joke that what I surround myself with is Spanx, all her jewelry, (laughs) all her jewelry is here. I love that Spanx is like. It's like underwear. yeah. Yeah. Right. But all her jewelry, and then I always put a picture of her out so that she's present, Mm. even though I'm like, are you judging me? Um, But I can't worry about that. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I can, but it's not going to get us anywhere. No, right. So that's really interesting because I was just reading that note you shared with me, the picture of the (sighs) note, which was so fucking beautiful. And I wrote down so that I could read this line and talk about faith and God and how that was important to your mom. Yeah. She wrote, go with my love and God's protection and be sure to remember everything so you can tell me all about it. Yeah. So that note, I don't, it's funny because I didn't recall it. Hmm. Um, So Arcee and I were at her house. This is like 
This is pre-pandemic. How about that? Like now it's like, you know, BCAD, <laughs> PPAP, right? Like pre-pandemic, after pandemic. So this is pre-pandemic as like a right. marker of time, right? So pre-pandemic. Yeah. So like, well, let's back up and just also say like, talk about layers of surreality, right? You know what I mean? Like, well, what part of like emptying your mother's house was this? Was this AP or P or P? Or PP, you know, pre-pandemic, right. after pandemic, you know what I mean? Like, or was it during the revolution, before the revolution? Even that right. part of it, right? Yeah. Right? There's like that mid-May, June thing that yeah. is also like changes your focus and changes your feelings. And anyway, there's yeah. like April and before and yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah. So I only know this is like the winter of my discontent kind of thing, <laughs> pre-pandemic, <laughs> um, because uh, there are no kids there. And the reason I know there are no kids there um, is because it is evening and I'm in my mom's house. I'm in a, I'm in a guest room going through boxes of books and things like this. Cause my mom's house has already been partly sorted by my aunt prior to my mother's passing. They were working on the house. And so I'm now not just going through the estate, but I'm like going through the estate as it had already been half sorted and trying to like, mm-hmm. more, like nothing, nothing is where, well, nothing is where I think it is because it's been my mom's house for a long time since I've been living there, period. But then two, doubly, then two other people that haven't lived here at all put it in halfway into boxes. So I'm like, okay, I need to like... Uh, find family f- members. Yes, mean, fi- yes. Fa- family members and, who have offered me a lot of support, but like, and that, they did a lot of the, I'm glad that that all happened because I don't know if I could have actually started from square one, right? But but I had to spend start the first... starting is the hardest part. It's right. Like, right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I had the, I had somebody else start for me halfway. Right. So I just kind of entered the marathon mid race. Right. As far as like dealing with the house. So I'm like now trying to orient myself towards like, where are all the things and, and what are all of the things. Right. And I think our C is in my room, just kind of like exploring the history of me and us because some of that mm. stuff is there. And I'm in the guest room exploring like the history of like my whole family and books and, things like this. And he comes from my room with a note and he found it in my closet, like on the floor, like the floor, Your of childhood my, closet, room? my childhood room, the closet that I owned, you know, sixth wow. grade through college. Um, and this is a note that she wrote me before I went on a two week short term mission trip to Italy with a, mm. with a faith based group that I was with. So my first time traveling like out of the country, like for real, real, my first time traveling anywhere of note, like without her, you know, like age 19, I think it mm. was when she wrote me that. And it's interesting because, well, actually, do you mind if I grab it really quick? Because there's, yeah. uh, there's the front side that I didn't even share with you. Hold on one second. So I carry it in my wallet now. It just stays in my wallet. It's one of these things that he finds it and hands it to me. And this is also why I know that there are no kids here, because after I read it, like, I wail this guttural, like, impaled animal in the wild kind of cry. Mm-hmm. Um, because, obviously, it's, like, written as a time capsule, like, in, mm-hmm. the, in the era and moment that she intended it. But now it feels like this missive for, like, the rest of my life, right? Correct. So That's how I, that's how I took it as someone who didn't know what you were sharing with me. Yeah. That line feels like... Go forth, live your life, raise your kids, and then when I see you again, tell just me tell all me about everything. it. Right? Yeah. And again, that's just one part of it, so I would love to hear all of it. So she says, Dear Jessica, 
As I watch you prepare for your first mission trip overseas, it gives me time to reflect on the fact that your life has been trusted to me by God, but it's now becoming your own. Hmm. But it's now becoming your own task to hear God speaking into your life. Today, we shared tears. Never be ashamed of tears, for they teach us compassion for one another. I have watched you mature as a young lady and have known since your childhood that God would use you and your talents to do great things for far beyond what I have done with my life. I hope, though, that I've helped you to instill some values that have given me strength, honesty, fairness, forgiveness, sensitivity, and the willingness to pitch in and help wherever you can be of use. Things like that will give you a happy, productive life, whether you are rich or poor, because you will be rich in spiritual gifts. Now you are embarking on your own journey, and I stand witness to your growing sense of yourself, and I am proud, happy, and blessed to watch you become the young lady God meant for you to be. Go with my love and God's protection, and be sure to remember everything so you can tell me all about it. Love and kisses, Mom. So he finds this note and hands it to me, like, without prelude, without, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just, whoa, you know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, and it's, it's so many things. It's so many things. Um, Not the least of which is that, like, the toughness of reconciling that I do believe that my mom didn't hold as high of an opinion of herself and even couching that, like, hmm. like her belief, you know, that I am the product of her good work, you know, not herself, you mm-hmm. know, but like she's sowing seeds that are going to bear fruit beyond her capacity, capability, you know, potential, whatever. Yeah. And it's, that's the duality, you know, I mean, because I think there is absolutely something beautiful about a person that has a low opinion of themselves only because they're Mm. not too full of themselves. But from the outside, when you see somebody that doesn't hold as high an opinion of themselves as you believe they're entitled to, and you see how much they disbelieve, like the value of their own goodness or worth Mm. or what they should what they should be entitled to also like if we want to use the faith-based framework as a child of god regardless mm-hmm. of your personal perception of your own worth or goodness de facto square one before you do or don't do anything you are just that as a baseline and therefore mm. you you are born out of innate goodness like you have innate goodness in you right and yeah and she taught you that your whole life yeah yeah like you never and that never went away for you in terms of what you understood, do you teach your children that, or I don't, I don't know where you are on your journey with yeah. God. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's interesting because that's, that's my framework and that's where I, yeah. I mean, that's, that's my, that's my orientation and that's my journey, but like mm-hmm. church itself hasn't looked like what I believe living as a product of a person of faith Mm-hmm. like should be, you know? And I mean, uh, if, which this is a whole other conversation. I mean, we could look at even this political cycle and all these things too. And, you know, so I've, I've distanced myself from spaces for some mm-hmm. time. And I think we've given our children a lot of spiritual basis, but I don't know that I've given them the framework. <laughs> and it's interesting too, because, you know, my mom, I think felt a lot of those responsibilities when she was 
young when she became a parent and she started to think about what she what space she wanted to put her child in so that her child had a faith conversation, you know, and that I think, again, it was like her burden of responsibility was outward. Like it was like, because Mm -hmm. of her position as my mom, she kind of came back to church and came back to faith. Like she was kind of like a broken Catholic um, before then. And then I came along and it was more like the, well, I have this thing. So what should I do? I should put it in church because, you know, because essentially that's for com- her, yeah. yeah, for her it was like... And it's community her- and it's, yeah. you know, yeah, I think that's a, that was my first foray into like community and friends and yeah. being around others and doing um, civic work, right, and volunteering your time and um, being around others. And that felt, I don't know if my mom totally believed in heaven, hell and all of that, but she believed in the goodness and giving back right as a citizen too i think there's that that volunteer aspect of church that my mom really believes in yeah i think my mom started there because like her framework was that you know when she was young her family let the kids go to church basically i think until like communion Mm -hmm. or confirmation one of the two and then they're like okay you decide if you want to keep going you know my grandmother had had an experience where she had my understanding is she had miscarried and then asked the priest what happened to her baby. And the priest told her that the baby was in purgatory um, because mm-hmm. the baby couldn't yeah. have faith or, you know what I mean? And so we have to pray for the soul of your baby. And it like that space was so damaging to her that she was kind of like, all right, well, you know, I'll put you here and then you guys decide if you keep going. You know, <laughs> it's up to you. It's up to you. <laughs> Good yeah. on ya. You do what you want. I'm out. Deuces. You know, like, um, but like, you know, I mean, I think that was very obviously impactful to my grandmother's experience. Um, and that also in my mind does not represent, you know, the, the goodness, the innate goodness of that's right. You know, a spiritual like, yeah. Well, and like where we are at on this plane and what the, our relationship is with eternal goodness. I don't feel like that is <laughs> that product is part of it. Like that's not that. So anyway, all that to say, you know, my mom grew up, I, I came around, she started to go to church because of me and, and, and she stayed, you know, and it was mm-hmm. her, she found the truth that she, that enriched her life. And, she's lived her life as a person of faith in a way that I could never emulate. And yet, you know, of course there's this note that's like, you will do things with your life far greater than I will ever do, you know? Yeah. So, and I think it's interesting because Riley and I have had this conversation after she passed and I realized some of the difficulty that he's had because we've, um, you know, had to go to the house with them since. And he started to just kind of put himself away in my bedroom and shut the door while we were there. This is your son. Mm-hmm, my son. Making, so my yeah. son, my son, who's 11, who's, who's fairly tight with my mother. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they have a special, had, had a special relationship. And, um, you know, and even on her deathbed, you know, she was saying something about, uh, like she views herself to be like Riley or Riley's like her. I said, why is that? I said, because he's trouble. I'm like, you view yourself as trouble. And she goes, you know, I think, I think, I think children believe what their parents tell them. And I said, do you think I tell him he's trouble? She goes, Oh, I haven't thought about that. She goes, I just know when I was young, people 
Oh God, I have so many tangents right now, Dana. I have an audio recording of this, of my mom telling me this on her deathbed. You got her in like short spurts, Mm -hmm. right? It's smart of you to do that. I wish I had more myself. It's strange and tough to listen to them. I knew I needed to record. I knew I needed to talk to her. I knew I needed to, I knew that time was not on my side anymore. She was the eldest of five. It's a combination of her personality and the situation, right? Everyone reacts mm-hmm. to different things in different ways. Right. And her mother ended up dealing with depression and was institutionalized mm-hmm. more than once and received electric shock therapy treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, the product of which meant that large portions of my mother's childhood were just blipped out from her mind. Mm-hmm. So I think my mom kind of felt like the forgotten child and because she was the oldest and theoretically had the most capacity to mm-hmm. manage, she was tasked with a lot, you know, it's the, it was the keep calm and carry on of that household. And she was kind mm-hmm. of the ambassador of that charge. And, you know, I think she just kind of tried to stay small and out of the way. And I think the problem becomes that like a necessary season becomes a framework of like your disposition. Mm -hmm. And I think she carried that into her marriage and I think she carried that into the world. And then there was a Riley Mm -hmm. who reminded her of the rough and unsanded potential she had in her youth. And they were these like, you know, of course she'd whisper things to me like, and it's funny because I think any daughter feels, you know, that kind of maternal judgment from her mother, you know, um, yes, yes, she yes. would, she'd tell me when he was very little, she's like, oh, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's the strong willed child because there's the thought of like the strong willed child. And I'd be all like, he's a boy and he only raised one child and girl and <laughs> mild mannered and very compliant. So you don't even know what parenting you don't even know. is. You don't even know <laughs> what parenting right. is, mom. Right. And he's the first grandchild, right? Because you're yeah, the only child. I'm right, the only right. child also. But like my, it's my, interesting yeah. because like your experience of being an only child is very different than mine because it's so, it was always so interesting because people like have that idea of like, oh, only child. I'm like, no, but like legit in my house, like was not like that <sighs> because like, I mean, you know, like every family, sure. Yeah. But like, I had a family of like broken parts. You know what I mean? Like my father also grew up in a house where his father uh, came back from serving in World War II with post-traumatic stress disorder. He was the youngest of three. His older sisters went off and married. And I don't necessarily know that anyone knew Mm. like those weird dualities. Like she's the oldest of five with a mom who's depressed. He's the youngest of three. And he's left in the house with all the broken adults. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because things have come out even since my mom's passed in talking to my dad's sister, because now there's this like urgency of like, I need to share all the things with you. And there's like the mention that like, oh, maybe my grandfather was bipolar. Oh, and I was like, you know, that's that's really interesting that you say that because there's part of me that wonders if my father was an undiagnosed bipolar, but like all this coming up in an era where there were stigmas around this. Right. 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 And then my mother who was the product of a depressed mother. And now in hindsight with all this, I was like, was she depressed? And I didn't understand that. And so then if you can consider potentially somebody that was a potentially undiagnosed bipolar with a potentially mildly depressed person Hmm. and their only child. Yes. You know, so I was, I grew up in a house where I similarly made myself small 
unless I saw the potentially undiagnosed bipolar picking on the potentially depressed person, you know, and then I turned into the beta fish. Cause I like, that's not mm-hmm. fair. That's a mm-hmm. violation because even then I could tell the difference, you know, from places yeah. of authority. I was like, no, that's antagonistic and nasty. And Stop that's it. preying on someone. Did they respond to that? Your folks like um, listen to you? <sighs> I think it's tough to say, you know, I mean, those are the interesting things. And these are the things that I think, and maybe you too, you know, you'll always kind of mourn not having the chance to have had some adult conversations with the adults that were adults when you were a kid. That's right. <laughs> you know? And you, or you tried to, and, or I did, and it just never went the way I wanted to. And because when you're in so much pain, well, my mom, she just cried a lot. And then I can't get anywhere because yeah. once someone's crying, you're, you're done. They're not allowing you to really move through that because it's all about them now, right? right. It's just like any and you're kind not of confrontation. To traumatize somebody by no. asking the questions either. No. And now I have a million more questions about my mom's sister died when she was 28. She was also um, somebody who had learning disabilities, mm-hmm. but maybe to, in today's world, she died in 1980. Maybe in today's world, it'd be, it's got like a autism meets ADHD meets, but it was also. There was some issues of couldn't take off her shoes. It took her a long time to put them back on. All these things that feel like they'd be manageable today in terms of medication. And she drowned and they always talked about it being an accident, but it was probably a suicide. So it's like, and I'm just now seeing these documents because I'm dealing with my grandma, my mother's mother's move. And I'm finding all these documents, right? And then I'm learning and finding letters and all these things that I wish I'd talked to my mom about, or why didn't my mom, I don't, I didn't expect her when I was eight years old to tell me about her sister, but my twenties, my thirties, my forties, we didn't talk about her sister. Mm -hmm. She barely came up. Why? You know? So yes, there's so many questions about that, but just in terms of my mom, the same, she was like, had to be perfect, had to be the smart one, had to take, go to good college, you know, do the things, be the big sister and be the adult when her sister was struggling. And she thinks she resented that all the attention went to her even though my grandma would say that's bullshit. I loved my oldest daughter, Joe, just like I loved my youngest daughter. Yeah. But, but you, you know, you, that's you, a whole. Yeah, but you, 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 your attention goes to where the need is. The need is. And they don't need, they don't worry about Joe. And I think that's perfectly put in that way because I think that was the same with my mom. It was like my mom mm-hmm. was full of all of this potential, all of the savvy, you know, even even in the last year, like how much more my cousins referred to her as the wise old owl. Like that was like what Mm. my cousins called her was like the wise old owl. But like, that was like, you know, who she was. Like she was always, she could prattle off things about history to you. She could prattle off little known like Chicago facts. Like she knew, you know, the ins and outs of like different administrations. Like she could, you know what I mean? She like was a bibliophile to the core. She read all the time, you know? So that person isn't like where the urgent need is because that person isn't like hemorrhaging attention. I feel like she had a lot of things that she wasn't aware that she was really good at or wouldn't receive the praise for that Mm -hmm. because she'd would be embarrassed or wouldn't want to things that were innately like worthy of affirmation. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't, she would actually not have a consciousness of. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think she didn't realize that all the way along in each moment, she was always in the moment making something of her life, but she couldn't perceive that, that she was making something of her life. Cause she hadn't made something of her life. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Like, yes. Yes. She was yes. always my girl scout leader. 
I, like two days before the deadline, told my parents that I wasn't going to go back to Illinois State University. My, and it, it was also my birthday. My father refused to see me. My mother drove over with a small cake, sang the most pathetic refrain of happy birthday to me, and then helped me unenroll from college. Hmm. Do you know what I mean? Your um, freshman year? This was, after, this was after my sophomore year. I took a break. I needed a break. I knew it all during that year that I was like, I can't do that. This is not it right now. Mm-hmm. But like that burden of responsibility of not letting them down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom had tried to finish her undergrad. She stopped school. Then she went back to school. While she was going back to school, she's like, oh, I'm so tired. I feel so horrible. I keep getting nauseous on this coffee that I'm trying to drink to. Oh, no, she was pregnant with me. Right? Like, so she didn't. And then it became unimportant. So she never finished her bachelor's. My father was going to get a ride to college on a wrestling scholarship. And then he got injured. Mm. I mean, I was a kid at that point that was like, I, this is not appropriate for me right now in my life. I know this, but like, how do I tell these two people? Hey, I'm not going back to school next year. I don't know what I'm doing for sure yet, but I'm not, this is not it. And she came over and unenrolled me, you know, she did not ask any questions. She didn't, she asked questions, but like in the polite patient way that a person who's unenrolling their 19 year old Mm -hmm. daughter, it's the same summer that she wrote me this note. Right. Before you went to Italy. Yes. I went to Italy in June and in July she unenrolled me from college. Right. Ah, ah. So I think whatever the truths were in that note, she oriented herself with like, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of affirming that, listen to that still small voice inside of you thing, you know? And so it was kind of like, okay, so, you know, you're not going back there. Okay. So, okay. I've planted these seeds of how you will move through the world. Like, I hope that you take honesty and right and integrity. Yeah. All those things. And you go and then what did you do? Um, So I did a short, another short term missions based program and I worked with churches in Mexico and I worked with their youth programs and different feeding programs that they had in different communities and traveled basically towards the border from Mexico City, like for two months. And that's what I did. And in that time, I met a person named RC. He was from Idaho. He was this kid, very rural, podunk kid. And I thought he needed to make friends. And so I started to befriend him as a joke, just so that he didn't feel like outside of the group. And that's where I met my husband. Um, So there you go. Um, And then from there, came back in March of 2004. And I was like, okay. I was like, so I want to go back to school. I was like, so what to do? And I was like, oh my gosh, (laughs) Moody Bible Institute, their deadline is like in two weeks and you need two referral letters and the application and let's do that. And I did that and sent it off. And then two weeks after I sent it off, my dad died suddenly of a heart attack at age 49 and then I forgot how old he was. 49. Oh At age 49, he I died of a heart attack. That. So I'm now wow. 20. I'm 20. And wow. my mom is 48. Mm-hmm. And we are now alone at her house. And then two weeks later, I get an acceptance letter and I go. I'm now closer to my mom. I have, I have closeness but distance. Right. Because she's in Palatine. She's in Palatine or... and I'm in Chicago and I'm going to school. Um, I'm coming and going from her house with roommates. You know, we might stay a long weekend at the house and all of this, you know. And I am now a person that's going to a Bible college, which feels like the culmination of the parts. And also realizing that like being a person of faith is in direct discord with what I believe like 
the faith community Mm -hmm. (laughs) like Mm -hmm. reflects to the world, you know, um, I'm having just that consciousness of feeling uncomfortable with my associations. Like when you, when you boil down what the odds are of any of us being here based on like the temperature of the water being just right on the night that your parents got together. Right. You know, like it's a miracle. It's a miracle. And so we're all supposed to be here. Like we all Mm -hmm. have a thing. We all have our like reason detra, right? Like there's a thing. There's a reason you are here. There's a reason I am here. You know, you do not need to believe the same thing that I do. And there's a plan for your life, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And whatever you want to call the thing, mother earth, (laughs) the spirit, the universe (laughs) for me, God, you Mm -hmm. know, God wants good things for you and God loves you, you know, and they're like, you are full of like all of the goodness and potential that God and the universe wanted to dump in your very one unique life that needed to happen clearly based on the ratio of odds of all the reasons that it didn't Mm. need to happen. There's a reason you're here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that my knowingness of that about everyone in my core world that I meet and how many people were not met with that same spirit of love made it tough for me to exist in the spaces in the way that I had mm-hmm. when I was coming up or that my mother still did. But I do believe that we b- believed and looked at the world in a lot of the same ways, right? She was always proud of the fact that I oriented myself as a person of faith to the things mm-hmm. that sparked joy, right? You know, and my father passes away and, you know, um, I, you know, in the later year, in our last, in these last handful of years, we had some conversations about some things, but like, I feel like she really took that experience and figured out how to make other people's lives better with it by leading grief share. Yeah. Will you talk about that? What is that? What does that mean? What did it look like? Was it just at the church? Grief share is, yeah, she did Yeah, did she get training in it? Did she just train herself? What is it? Yeah. So I feel like we share that. I think that the experience of the three of us living together had been such a complicated thing that I think that we both spared each other from the grief within our grief Hmm. a little bit. Um, you know, like, yeah, I, I don't know how else to put that. Like, I think that I had always speculated that it would be hard to lead a grief share group after experiencing the loss of a spouse so young, but also having had a complicated marriage. Right. And there is a grief there, but I was like, that's where I feel like it's like the grief within Mm. your grief, you know? Um, and when other people, I don't know what better way to say this, when other people are grieving in earnest, like just solely mm. like, I want this person back exactly as they were, exactly as it was, exactly as our relationship is, you know, and me, and I'm, I am imagining here because we, you know, because even on her deathbed, <laughs> unsolicited, she says in one of these audio recordings, I have like, your dad was a good man. Hmm. Like. And she'd never said that. She wanted to set the record straight that if we're putting it on the record, 
Mm-hmm. She wants it understood that he was a good man. Right? And he was, in as much as we're all good, right? Back to that. We are all good, good, good. We're all good. And things happen. You know, life happens, hmm. whatever. And, you know, good people can do bad things, right? Um, yeah. But that does not necessarily innately make people bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's Hamilton, you know, who lives, who dies, who tells your story, right? The duality. That'll be our sponsor. That'll there we go. <laughs> when, when, it com- when it comes back, the tour of Hamilton. <laughs> Lynn, call us. Um, no. <laughs> call us. Uh, you know, that's a thing is like, you know, I'm very, I'm very conscious outside of myself in talking about all of this because these are good people. These are good people that had a complicated marriage. Mm-hmm. And then because of their complicated backgrounds, parented in a complicated way. So you and your mom never talked alone about your dad, like about the grief you're saying. You never sat down, made a drink, had a cup of tea, whatever, and said, let's hash this out. No, I mean, I think I share everything I just did because I think it kind of explains how we shared with each other. You know, I know that in leading Grief Share, she had to choose to self-disclose to the people Mm. that invited themselves there as self-identified people needing support in their grief journey, right? So I'm conscious. How many times did she do it? Every week? Years. And years. Years. Like these are, she did years. There's like, I don't know how many groups. Sometimes she'd tell me like, you know, oh, this is, you know, of course she's not disclosing about individuals. But but she'd be like, there's somebody, you know, there's a young husband who just lost his wife in this group. There's a daughter who lost her mother in this group. There's a adult who lost an adult child in this group. You know, like she'd tell me kind of like the makeup of a group sometimes as she was talking through, you know, because these are like huddles that would meet every week. And she did mm-hmm. this over the course of years, right? Wow. And so it was interesting because I always knew in my head, like she's disclosing things about our journey that I don't know. Unless I ever determine that I want to go to grief share, I don't know that I'll hear it. But then I don't know that it's a space that I'm invited to because it's where yeah, she... Did you, yeah, did you ever ask? no. And it's kind of interesting. Yeah. It's kind of my regret, you know, because it's like trying to find out what was said in private spaces. Right. And that's partly where I'm, I have all of her stuff now. Mm. I mean, I haven't made my way through it, but like, here's like, she's got pages in here that she's like filled out, you know, like for other, for other people leading your group. Well, What if no one talks? Be comfortable with silence. Ask the questions in the round. But it's okay to pass if you want to. Start with simple questions like an icebreaker. Let each person have their own comfort level. Talk to quiet people alone or by phone. Mm -hmm. See if there's any reason they're not yet participating. Remind the group that everyone benefits from sharing. I mean, it's just like she's got her her notes of how to lead well. Um, And facilitate. Yeah. And I wonder if in there you'll find specific personal notes about her grief. Right. I mean, who who knows? Even though she was facilitating, maybe there's a section where she's forced to write about your dad. That's so intense, that feeling of she probably shared things in there that she'll never hear. Yeah. And that she held space. Like those stories of kids, right? You're the child of a minister, and that minister probably is giving all his love to the congregation, but yeah. you hope they're giving it back to the, the home. 
So I wonder if, yeah, your mom was holding all this space for these people, not like she didn't hold space for you, but you didn't really have those moments. That's weird. That's, that's intense. Well, it's interesting because she's solicited to be invited in that space of feminist specific that's right. way. Right. And if you're not soliciting it back or... And it's like, even though I don't think she'd see that as a position of power, hmm. you know, she's in yeah. a position to lead. But even yeah. in leading, I think she sees them as like the protagonist. Like she is yeah. like here supporting the protagonist on their journey. It's still about them. Hmm. Not about her. Like it's sure. about... Right. She's, it's about what do I have to to enhance your experience? Like how I'm advocating I... for them. I'm advocating for their journey and help push them along. But but didn't come and didn't call you up after those serv- you know those grief sessions and say, I've had an aha moment about facilitating your journey. Let's get you through to the other side. Or da 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 da. I've also f- felt like I am grieving my dad in a different way because I'm emptying their estate. Like I feel like I'm. Yeah. grieving the entirety and now it's going to be interesting to be like what can I put together from what my mom would have said you know mm. how can my mom lead me through my grief yeah. of losing her and losing him all over again you know like it's a little bit like you know yeah piecing together the the framework you know because and, I didn't yeah I didn't you know and it's just all interesting because one of the leaders that she co-led with told me that one of the things she'd said in grief share was something that I'd said to her, which mm. I didn't remember. She said, you know, we, we'd come to church after my husband passed and something would make me emotional and I'd shove it away. And Jessica would say to me, it's okay if it doesn't feel appropriate for you to cry right now. So find time. Don't not do it. Find time to do it later when it is appropriate And so that would apparently be something she'd share repeatedly with people to invite them into exploring what they were feeling and why they were feeling it and not to like squirm away from the pain, right? And you had shared that at what point in your journey with your mom did you say that? Or did you say it all the time? When I was living with her. Ah. Like that was one of the things I was like, oh my God. Like she's been sharing that for years. Wow. And that was something that I said when I was 21. I could almost guarantee you that that came out of like the framework of like looking at her and being like, somebody needs to give you permission to cry because it doesn't feel like a socially acceptable Acceptable. emotion to show here right now. And so I need to be the person that tells you that you need to grant yourself permission. Also because for so long I watched her squash emotions in the Mm -hmm. context of conflict so that she would get through the conflict quicker So I was conscious of the fact that I feared she would have a squashed emotion-like reflex. Mm. So it would just continue to like... So you were like, if you can't get it out now and you want to just get through this, please give yourself the permission to go somewhere or do it later or do in the shower. Yeah. Get that that out. Yeah. Because it'll just sit here. Right. Or, well, some people believe if they start crying or processing something, they'll never stop. Right. another thing of like once you open that shit up right here we go right but if yeah you're teaching her that and now she taught others that yeah but that was like one of those things that i didn't even know that she said or shared you know yeah. um which is like been one of the things that i've like hung on to just like going through her house you know what i mean so i read this note and i like cry like an impaled animal you know what i mean like yeah. same thing happens like i'm going through some garbage that's been sorted out 
and I find the candle that my parents lit on their wedding day. I remember you said that. Oh, yeah. Right? And it is. It's, well, now you're grieving your dad, too. That's a whole, that's really heavy to have to process something from years ago while you're processing something that's really fresh, too. Yeah. But yeah, that I, yes. And it's funny how certain things you go, eh. I go like, yeah, I've seen that. And then like my mom's birth certificate or her baby book, you're like, and then you see it again two years later and it's a whole new feeling of, yeah. of grief. But it, to me, I feel like I would have taken that letter in the closet as a sign. You know, I'm somebody who I keep, when I find little things, it feels as if I'm supposed to, yeah. even though I don't know if I believe in all of that spiritual stuff or yeah. the woo-woo aspect of it, I do go, no, I should have found that and yeah. I, at this exact moment. But the stuff that knocks the wind out of you is really hard. Yeah. 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 It's been, like, it's heavy. <laughs> that's been the, you know, so it's, uh, so this week is uh, actually the week that I emptied my mom's house. My yes. mom's house was emptied this past Wednesday. In the same way where you're like, where you're like, everything's happened, like in the way that it's in the order that it is supposed to happen. Like you and I picked this day to talk like weeks ago. And then like the, this past Wednesday was the day that the cleanup king had available. Crazy. I was like, of course it is. Yes. Of course it is. Cause it's the Wednesday before we're going to talk about all of this, which, you know, uh-huh. like in the 2020, 2020, that makes sense. Right. You're like, of course, 2020. When I asked you on May 12th, the realtor had just been contacted mm-hmm. about somebody being interested, which was interesting because I talked to you in May. Mm-hmm. And then now, yeah, you posted on Instagram. What did you say? It was so beautiful about goodbye childhood home. And it's now take time to take my children home. So that was beautiful. You know, so it's been, it's been these like kind of realms of reconciliation with it. We did a webinar, at the Coffer Center that was on grief and grieving. It's not linear. You can have different trajectories for different things. You know, like you could be in this meaning making over here and in denial about something else entirely. Right. You know, like I, in the spring, I was like in the act of like meaning making of some things. And I was in denial about the fact that like I had to empty this house because there was no emptying the house during the pandemic, during the era of P, right? Oh, so could, I, yeah. Well, right, I mean, what are you going to do? What are you going right. to do during the middle part of like social, like all the good wills yeah, are right. closed? You're, I know, yeah, right. You could be in an area of denial there, you know, sustained denial supported by, you know, circumstances. <laughs> and then you're angry because you can't actually right. deal with it, yet you're just angry at the whole situation. Your aunt asks yeah. you how things are going, and you get angry because you're in denial about the fact that you have to do it, but you're also yes. supported denial because if the pandemic yes. never ends, then bargaining, do I never have to empty the house? Do I, like, I never have to deal with it? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but no, but that went into a whole realm of meaning making for sure because what happened on the back end of because of pandemic is like, the people that did estate sales didn't want my mom's estate because it just wasn't worth it because oh. they were backlogged. They were just they too, had too up. many to deal they with. They had too many and... worthwhile estates and I needed something sooner than, and they weren't right. just not really, they knew it wasn't a money-making endeavor for them. Okay. And so it became apparent that like, okay, so because pandemic, you know, uh, <laughs> estate sales and happening. And so what turned into the meaning making was this free sale that was happening in my mom's yeah. driveway. Yeah. Which brought somebody my way that ended up being a harmonica guy who ended up playing one of my dad's harmonicas in the driveway. And, uh-huh. you know, I spent the whole day crying basically after I came home, just listening to harmonica. And mm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And people so just showed up, right? Friends, yeah. neighbors, and yeah. random folks. Yeah. And just took, he didn't charge anything. Yeah, no, didn't Nothing. charge anything. Just, you know, put out a jar for, you know, donations if you wanted to make one, but like no, no cost necessary, you know? And wow. yeah, and cool things, cool things happened like that, that day, you know? And then we made one last pass last weekend with what remained. And that was the last time we brought the kids out there and explained to them that this is the last time like we were coming to Yaya's house together. And, uh, and it ended up being this incredibly joyful day, which goes all the way back to the Instagram post you're talking about, which was Mm. Riley more regularly came out of that bedroom and put on the swim clothes and played with a sprinkler in the yard and, Mm-hmm. I had the garage doors open and was sorting through the boxes and um, Jolie's playing in the little blow-up pool and one of the best moments, it's the only time this happened during this whole process, was Riley had was encouraged to bring his scooter out when we went out there and so we decided to take a walk around the block, me and him. Mm-hmm. And so I walked with my son the same route that I used to walk to my grade school and said, you know, this was... Yeah. This was my commute to school when I was a kid, you know, and uh, walked around the block and stopped on the back end of the house. He said, look, see, you could pass through to Yaya's backyard from this house so you could cut through the block here. You know, so when I come from friend's house, I would cut through the yards, you know, and, uh, you know, I effectively got my child from being closed in my bedroom to scootering and mm-hmm. wet swim clothes around the block um, just by the yeah. nature of mutually unburdening. Mm-hmm. the mutual unburdening of inviting each other in that was the last day there and as we're wrapping up my best friend from grade school came over and she met me in the sixth grade when I moved into that house and mm-hmm. you know, we took pictures of the two of us out front and then and then she points she goes look a rainbow <laughs> you know and turn around and there had been no rain and yet for some reason there's a rainbow on one no side rain. Of the, no rain no rain all day but there's a rainbow on one side of the street and a sherbet colored sunset on the other side behind my mom's house. And that was as we were loading up to the car and getting ready to get out and get the kids home. And, you know, Mm. that was, I mean, that was a real goodbye. That's the last hurrah, but it's funny because it's like, you know, I've had this whole pandemic of like sorting through all the things and not wanting to be done with it. And now I'm super done. Isn't that weird? Isn't that weird? Yeah. Holding on, like holding on. I was kind of mad. Mine went so quickly. I was like, that's it. It yeah. sold in four days. You know, mine's my mom's townhouse sold the old friend, old friends of ours. Wow. My last moment when I closed it, I looked around and I had a moment just to myself. And then I left a picture from my childhood with those people, those people who were about to buy the house. And me, my mom wasn't in the photo, but it's from some uh, Christmas together. So I left it like in the kitchen with like a note, you know, enjoy yeah. the place. Anyway, but yeah, I, I feel like I put off. Yeah, I was like, ah, oh, it's already over, even though it does not feel like that in the moment. It took four months to get right. there. And yet I was like, oh, now it's done. Now I have to go. For me, it also feels like then I had to go deal with the grief that might be coming later. I could just focus on the logistics, which you and I have talked about. Right. And yeah, that's you have purposeful work to apply yourself work. to. I have work. Yeah. yeah. I get to organize. I get to sort. I get to feel good about selling it or having everything moved out. And you can check. You can write on your to-do list, done. But you don't check off grief, you know, you don't go done. It's the reason like why people talk about like, hi, you don't have pants on. (laughs) 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 
She I laughs can't maniacally. You. Are you going to put on un- underwear or a diaper? You not you need to put something on cuz I don't want pee pee on my floor. <laughs> Sometimes on Zoom I don't wear pants either. So <laughs> I ask people at the end of all these calls to say their mother's name and how you feel about her right now today in this moment at the end of this conversation. Like what's coming up for you? Mm. My mother's name is Jean Marie Schlobum and I feel grateful that I am the living legacy of her good work. That's beautiful, Jess. Thank you. You are definitely a living legacy of, of someone's good work. And we'll give it to Jean because you're a really wonderful person and you give a lot of yourself to a lot of other people. And I'm appreciative of all you've given me in my career and as a friend. So you're the best and I really appreciate you. Bye. Bye. She's so cute. Oh my God. Does she have pants on or? No. I gotta say, if you're going to start a podcast about grief and your dead mom, having a kid interrupt the call right at the end with no pants on and giggle is pretty sweet. I kind of wish that could happen in every single one of my conversations. It's like, how do I top that, you know? As always, you are invited to go to our website, which is mothersgravepod.com, to see some behind-the-scenes images of this episode and to read more about Grief Share and find a group near you if that's something that you're looking for in your life. This organization means a lot to Jess because it meant a lot to her mom. So check it out, mothersgravepod.com. I want to thank Jess for talking with me. Thank you, friend. I love you. I love you. I also want to thank Susie Pond, one of my oldest friends with Redbird Media Group, for editing and producing this podcast, Alice Anderson for sound mixing, Notoria Marketing and Design for the website, Meredith Montgomery for the logo and individual episode designs, and Matt Chapman for his theme music. And special thanks to Jill Wolf, my therapist, Heather Bodie, Laura Nicole, Danny Bravman, Jonathan Bode, and all of my friends for your love and support. Thank you. And for all of you who keep coming back and listening and supporting and sharing and rating and telling everyone you know about this pod, I really appreciate it. When I was growing up, there was a Trivial Pursuit question that said, what is the town in the U.S. with the most churches per square mile? And it was my hometown of Wheaton, Illinois. And then randomly years later, I would leave that town to go to college in the town with the most bars per square mile. Yeah. That town also has a famous racetrack, but I didn't really go there much. My mom was raised Lutheran, but I wouldn't call my mom religious. And I know we shouldn't label anyone as just religious because there's so much more nuance to Christianity and faith and spirituality. But For my mom, she was such a fact-based, free-thinking, science-driven, feminist-leading woman that I just can't imagine her giving herself over fully, 100%, to a belief system, to a book, to just let go and let God. No, my mom was pretty controlling. The thought of just freely giving of herself to really anything is hard to picture. But... My mom did believe in community and giving back to your fellow citizen, being a beacon of love in the world and being kind to everyone you meet. That was my mom. She was the light of the room. She she loved people. She loved giving whenever she could. 
And so I think she instilled that in me when she enrolled me in youth group services at St. Paul Lutheran Church when I was in middle school. I did handbell choir. That's right. I wore white gloves and rang bells when I was 12 years old. Yeah, I didn't date for many years after that. And because I was just starting to act and hone my skills as a public speaker, anytime I got to get up in front of the congregation and read a poem or a passage out loud, ooh, it was like my time to shine, you know? I took it way too seriously, and I also got really hyped up about it, and it was just usually like proverbs. I would go on mission-based trips to Nebraska and paint homes on a reservation. We went down to New Orleans and worked at a food pantry. All the civic work I did, I, I remember loving. And I think that's why my mom got me involved. I think my mom wanted to remind me that there is something outside of myself and that being good to your fellow citizen and being a good human in the world is really the religion that you want to let guide you. When my mom died, I inherited a lot of things. And one of those things was her Bible. I hadn't seen it in a long time. I think it was in the basement when I was growing up. But I saw it again. And here it was in my hands, this cream-colored, cracking along the binding, engraved with her name from 1963, Bible that was encased in a zipper. I think a lot of Bibles back then were put in a jacket that zips up, and the zipper itself is a cross. I was nervous to unzip it because, truthfully, I knew that she had written inside it. And now, I don't mean some mythical poem or some message to me, but my mom loves writing notes on everything, on the bottom of pots and pans, on the side of a hammer, on the bottom of shoes, on clothes. She will label everything and write notes on anything. And sure enough, I unzipped this book And inside it, she had written recently, in 2011, that she was reading it. It says, S. Joe Black, January 1, 2011. She had picked this back up for what reason? I don't know. What was she searching for? What did she need from it? I don't know. But whatever she was looking for, I hope she found the answer. Or it gave her some peace. And now I'm going to zip this thing back up and I'm going to put it back in its Tupperware container and I'm going to put it back in storage because I have inherited a lot of things and I just can't have them all around me all the time. It's a lot to carry. I'll talk to you next time. Go shine your beacons of innate goodness all over this world. (laughs) 